The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. Wall Street closes lower as COVID cases continue to spike and health authorities announce that Omicron has become the dominant strain in the United States. But Asian equities shrug off the weak handoff to rally with Japanese stocks leading the charge. Morning everybody, the Turkish lira jumping in value, rebounding 25% as President Erdogan unveils a series of measures he hopes will tackle the country's surging inflation. And Nike beats on the top and bottom lines as the sportswear giant overcomes supply chain issues to report strong sales in North America. hasn't taken long, Omicron has now become the dominant COVID variant in the United States. New data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows the strain now makes up approximately 73% of all new cases. That's a near six-fold increase in the variant share of infections in just one week. President Biden is set to unveil new steps to combat the virus later today. Here in the United Kingdom, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has held off announcing further COVID restrictions despite mounting pressure. The country reported over 90,000 positive tests in just the last 24 hours, with cases doubling in the last week. Johnson said the government was monitoring the situation, quote, hour by hour. The UK leader also warned the public to expect new controls if health services were overwhelmed. We agreed that we should keep the the data from now on under constant uh, review, keep uh, following it uh, hour by hour. And unfortunately, I must say to people, we, we will have to reserve the, the possibility of taking further action to, to protect the public uh, and to protect public health, to protect uh, our NHS. And we won't hesitate to, to take that action. Global markets in lockstep selling off for the Monday trade on these concerns around the Omicron variant as well as the slightly tighter monetary setting that we've got. And you can see uh, the Wall Street trade was negative. We've been setting up for some selling pressure on the technology names, but that really stretched across the board and in particular to the banking sector. And that's where you saw the Dow come under pressure. Goldman Sachs, one of the big stocks moving to the downside. But if you pick in between the lines on the S&P and the Nasdaq, you could see some of the high flyers too in recent times. Also, some of the big casualties, the likes of Microsoft, for instance, for the S&P and Tesla for the Nasdaq. A quick look at those US banks. It was a very weak session that played out across the board, as you can see. 2.6% down for Goldman Sachs. Uh, worth noting in session, you had a fall of about 2.5% on the ETF that tracks the banks compared to what you had on, say, the FANGs that were down roughly 1.2%. So it was a much worse session playing out for the big banking names versus the big technology giants. But that said, if you take a slightly longer term perspective over the month, it's actually still been the big FANG stocks that are seeing the most selling pressure down to the tune of about 4.3% 
just under 4% off for the bank stocks. So uh, across the board, we are seeing still pressure on many of these various different names. I want to take you to Treasury markets because we have seen, of course, this flattening of the yield curve around interest rate expectations. The uh, 10-year currently this morning, 1.42 is where we're standing. And to the dollar, uh, the uh, early picture looks like this. Sterling euro trying to recover a little bit of territory versus the greenback, uh, both bouncing slightly. A dollar is also moving high versus the yen. Don't forget in trade yesterday, it was a bit of a rush for the safe havens that was supportive for the Japanese yen. But uh, the dollar clawing back some territory here. And you can see slightly more risk on approach today on some of the other major currencies. It was a very rough trading pattern for the commodities complex yesterday, in particular oil, where we saw concerns about the outlook for demand because of Omicron. 69.53, we're bounced, we've moved to the about uh, one plus percent higher, and a similar tune for Brent now hugging that 72 handle. To the Asian markets, uh, let's just uh, delve into that trading session again across the markets, much brighter than how we appeared yesterday. You can see a 2% pop on Japanese stocks that were hard hit in the Monday trade. Hong Kong uh, 1% stronger and across for China and Australia. Very similar view, uh, stronger by eight tenths of a percent. Now, our markets here in Europe yesterday fell uh, fairly aggressively. Some markets more than others, 2.2% uh, down uh, up for the month, I should say, for the French market, but for the session, trading down by eight tenths of a percent. So it does constitute what has been a stronger month of December, but with big selling sessions like yesterday, it was a give back trade to some of those positions. This morning, the French market is chasing 1.1%. Uh, stocks in Germany fell yesterday by about 1.9%. They're looking to reclaim about 1.4%. And the UK stock market also lower yesterday by about 1.4%, looking to reclaim most of that territory early on this morning as well. Jeff. Yeah, very good morning, Karen. Interesting, isn't it, how we had a very weak session yesterday, but everything seems to be coming back a little bit this morning. Some of those commodities like oil you were talking about and an improvement uh, largely in the futures. It makes you wonder what yesterday was about. Was it just about concerns around Omicron or is it about broader concerns about growth or is it about broader concerns about taper and shifting monetary policy. Well, US futures are rebounding after the sell-off on Monday. The Dow looking to open around 300 points higher. KKR head of global macro and asset allocation, Henry McVeigh, called Monday's sell-off just a pause, but urged caution that the road to recovery could get bumpy next year. We've front-end loaded the spend, right? Consumers in the US, for example, have almost $3 trillion of excess, excess savings starting the recovery. They paid down their debt and their house prices are up. And frankly, what we see, we own almost 200 companies globally. We see more of a labor shortage than an excess of labor. So I think you're going to see spending. I think it's going to come in different forms depending on how the variants uh, mutate. We fully expect that science will catch up with the mutations, but we think it's going to be a bumpy 22. Well, let's get another perspective from Michael Howell. Michael is the CEO of Cross Border Capital. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for joining us here. Interesting in your um, assessment of global liquidity conditions, we have seen something of pullback here, but is it sufficient to explain why we might start seeing a little bit risk off? Yes. Good morning, Jeff. I think that's right. As the last speaker said, we're going to see pause, a pause. Uh, we're probably going to see a few more pauses as well. Um, basically, liquidity is beginning to be drained 
uh, from markets by central banks. The tapers are well underway. Uh, the Federal Reserve has really got yet to start it, but it's going to it's going to catch up with others. And as that liquidity comes out of markets, volatility will step up, and it's going to create a headwind uh, into 2022. It's going to be a difficult year. And I think the thing we've got to remember is that the fixed income markets have been uh, foretelling this for several months. I think the last time I was on the show, we were very concerned about the message from the fixed income markets. The flattening yield curve is telling us an awful lot. Yeah, how how serious, uh, Michael? Because I, I know one or two uh, people that I talk to in the market are talking about a redux of a 94-style uh, wobble, uh, a, a little bit of a bond market revolt, if you like, uh, because they don't feel that now is the right time to hurry with uh, removing accommodation. Um, how bad do you think it could get? I think the, if you look at the fixed income markets, you look inside the U.S. Treasury market, it's telling us, uh, uh, warning us of a pretty ugly scenario. Uh, we've not only seen a flattening of the yield curve, that flattening has come at the longer end of the market. So particularly if you look at long-dated bonds, uh, the very long end of the market has actually dipped much more than mid-duration yields. Uh, that's number one, an ominous sign. The other thing is that the front end of the curve, uh, in sort of wonky speak convexity, has started to spike up significantly. When you get these two factors coming together, it normally warns that upcoming credit problems in the real economy. Uh, we've seen it before, we may be seeing it again. So the fixed income markets are on a very different page right now from the stock markets. The stock markets, however, are catching up. And if you look at the last three months, you've had a lot of outperformance from defensive names. And the cyclicals, as you've been uh, noting, such as technology, have been significant laggards. Michael, can I ask you about the impact of those credit bubbles then? Because it's been noted in various different uh, report cards. I mean, uh, one we had from the Bundesbank, for instance, was talking about bubbles potentially in uh, German real estate assets. But we've seen it across the board in various other asset classes too. What does tightening in 2022 do to those credit bubbles? Just how violent does it look? It, it certainly bursts them. I think one... One has to be realistic about that. Uh, asset prices are buoyed by liquidity. If liquidity is going down, their uh, major support is going to fall, fall away. The question really is how severe is the contraction? And I think that you've got to put this into perspective. The Federal Reserve, which has been driving a lot of asset markets in the last two years, remains easy. But the Federal Reserve is uh, behind the crowd, uh, not just behind the curve, behind the crowd when it comes to tightening. Uh, most other central banks have already begun tightening. And I think if you look at the uh, the key central banks outside of the Fed, look at the People's Bank of China, uh, despite a sort of minimal uh, cut in long in uh, one year prime rates yesterday of five basis points. Wow, uh, they've actually been taking liquidity out of the system consistently for several months now. And look at the strength of the yuan; it's an attest it attests to that fact. The Chinese currency is strong, and the dollar is strong, but the Chinese currency is stronger. And this is telling you that monetary conditions in China are not easy. Uh, we've seen the Evergrande debacle. That's uh, you know part of this whole process. But it's going to affect commodity markets significantly as we get into 2022. And it will adversely affect the world economy. The other thing I think one's got to say is really what is the ECB up to? Uh, because if you look between the lines of what they're saying, I mean, we figure that the ECB balance sheet may actually be contracting for about the middle of next year. And that's clearly a worrying sign. It's not really coming out uh, in the script at the moment. It's not what the, uh, what the rhetoric of the politicians and the ECB uh, commentators are saying. But I think that is the reality we've got to, we've got to think about. 
Michael, it's most certainly not. That's not the messaging from the ECB. So pieces together for us. What should you be selling if you haven't sold it already? Well, I think the, I think the issue is that cyclically sensitive, small mid-cap stocks that are sensitive to economies, including the most vulnerable in this environment, uh, long-duration equities, which may include technology or probably does include technology, are likely to suffer as well. I think what you've got to come back to is, uh, is growth stocks, uh, particularly things in the US, where the US market is likely to hold up rather better than most. But it's these safer asset, long, long, uh, you know, long-term growth stocks, which are really the things which will be in favour. It's been interesting watching the rebound in European markets this year, Michael. They, they were largely unloved and, and then they started to keep pace with US gains. And in some cases, we've seen France and Germany do better on selected days. Um, do you stay in the Eurozone? Do you stay perhaps with uh, some of those winners for this year or do you switch allocation? And I mean, emerging has done a, a, a very poor job of keeping up. Is it time to rotate in that direction? Uh, I don't think necessarily going back to Europe is, a, is at the moment a, a wise thing to do. Uh, the European economies look more fragile uh, if we're correct in our assessment, the ECB may well be tightening a lot sooner than the market is believing. Uh, that's clearly not a positive sign. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you look at the, the, the drivers of the European economies, it really comes down to the exchange rate, which has been probably a, a mild support recently. But the other is China. The Chinese economy is not doing terribly well. Uh, the Chinese People's Bank, which is the linchpin of the Chinese economic system, is certainly not easing policy on our, on our numbers at all. And that is going to be detrimental to economic growth, both in Asia and in Europe in 2022. So I would steer, I would steer clear of Europe. I would steer clear of emerging markets. I would go for safety. I think US growth names, uh, you know, buying the S&P is probably uh, one of the safest things to do in the equity space. Uh, however, I do believe that this is probably a pause and maybe a series of pauses in what could still be uh, a bull market. Equities are probably the best asset class of all right now, looking, taking a one or two year view, uh, but still it's going to be a bumpy ride through 2022. Uh, you know, equities, equity markets, all asset markets like liquidity, and we're facing headwinds from liquidity supply. Unfortunately, it's coming at the same time that the COVID, another COVID scare is emerging, which means it's not helpful. Michael, I just want to circle back to your concerns that the Fed is behind the crowd when it comes to tightening and, and talk about what that means uh, in reality, because we've had a lot of discussion already about the Volcker years, the shock therapy that was required uh, to try and tame inflation. And I know many quarters of the market are concerned about runaway price action at this point. What type of tightening cycle do you think we're setting up for? What's necessary given the sort of market reaction, corporate reaction we get to any form of tightening this time around with high debt levels? I think the uh, I think the issue of what what's needed and what we'll get are probably two very different things, Karen. I think the first thing to say is let's look at where we're starting from. U.S. monetary growth is excessive um, since the COVID emergency began. Um, U.S. broad money has expanded by about well, at least thirty percent, probably about nearer thirty five percent right now. Uh, that is something like twice the rate of most other industrial economies, and it's three times the rate of what one would normally say are the sound money economies, uh, such as Germany, uh, Switzerland, and Japan. So the US is really sticking out like a sore thumb here in terms of monetary accommodation. That is feeding through into inflation. Our view, probably like the Fed's, is that this is probably a temporary 
or, or transitory inflation problem, but it's still a real, a real problem. And the Federal Reserve has to get to grips with that, and they'll need to tighten. Now, if you go back to the early 1980s, when Volcker um, started to tackle inflation, there were some very significant tightenings that were required. Bear in mind that US Fed funds went to 22% uh, in 1980 uh, to try and halt the increase in inflation. So if inflation expectations begin to get embedded, which I think there are some signs there are, the Federal Reserve will have to be a lot more aggressive. It's not onto that page of the hymn book yet, but it's likely to be moving there in the next few weeks or months. Michael, we're going to say goodbye. Thanks so much for being with us this morning and uh, have yourself a, a good holiday season and we'll catch up in 2022. Michael Howell, the good. CEO of Cross Border Capital. Um, let's refocus on uh, COVID restrictions. Um, German federal and state leaders are going to meet today. They will talk about imposing tougher contact restrictions. That's as hospitals come under strain with many emergency personnel affected. Now, Aneta, um, they're talking about these restrictions being imposed on the vaccinated. Would this effectively mean places like, I don't know, restaurants and, and discotheques could close? Um, well, actually, I have the draft um, for today's meeting in front of me, and that draft doesn't foresee a, a closing down of restaurants and bars, but it does foresee um, that nightclubs are going to be closed. So further on, what is proposed is to restrict uh, private gatherings to 10 people of vaccinated people uh, max. And um, for the unvaccinated, it's just allowed to meet one household plus two more people. So it's quite constrained, and that should kick in from the 28th of December. So Christmas is still free. And afterwards, we're going into at least a partial lockdown. What remains um, also effective, of course, is that only the vaccinated can enter shops, restaurants, bars, etc., theaters, cinemas, so the whole public areas. And the unvaccinated are more or less already in lockdown since uh, beginning of December. Um, of course, a lot of hope depends on this, this booster campaign. They have kickstarted it here in Germany, the new government. But perhaps we listen in to the new Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, what he has to say about the prospects of the booster campaign. It was right that we started a booster campaign very early and that we started as soon as we had the go-ahead from the relevant commissions to allow us to provide all adults with a booster vaccination. Now we are already far advanced and want to further increase that within this year. The goal was to provide booster jabs for 30 million citizens until around Christmas, or by the end of the year, and we will reach it around that time. So what is new as well is the RKI, the institute who is monitoring this COVID situation in Germany, has reclassified the risk for vaccinated people to getting Omicron as being high versus only those who got, already got the booster shot have only a moderate risk of getting um, the Omicron variant. And they are also warning that while we are seeing a slight decline in cases right now, that with Omicron, they're expecting it to increase sharply very soon, most likely after Christmas, perhaps early January. And that's why those severe measures are 
now kicking in. Just to sum it up, as I was saying, for now, they haven't said anything about closing down restaurants and um, other public areas, but it's just a preliminary stage. They are saying as well, they're revisiting the situation early January after New Year's and um, then look whether more needs to be done or whether the situation seems to be at least contained, Jeff. Yeah, terrific. And I noticed that you avoided using the word discotheques as well. I think I may have just shown my age and exposed uh, how long I've been around by using that particular terminology. I'm not sure they exist anywhere anymore. But anyhow, we'll see you a little bit later on, Annette. Thank you so much uh, for the update. Uh, nightclubs, I guess, is what I should have said, as Annette used the term appropriately. Still to come on the programme, then, we are going to talk about the Turkish lira, which appears to be bouncing back here after President Erdogan plans to uh, guarantee local currency deposits. But can the president make good on those promises? We'll talk about that when we come back. And for more on the volatile start to the trading week as we head towards the holidays, you can check out the podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Italy and Germany's differences on fiscal policy are beginning to converge. That's according to Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi. After meeting Germany's new Chancellor Olaf Scholz in Rome, the EU launched a review of its stability and growth pact in October with the aim of adjusting member states' budget rules to better reflect the post-COVID recovery and net-zero transition. Draghi said he expects the traditionally more fiscally conservative north of Europe to agree on more fiscal spending rules. Germany's new government has picked Joachim Nagel as the next president of the Bundesbank. Nagel is a former Bundesbank board member with ties to the ruling Social Democrats. He will take over the helm of the German Central Bank on the 1st of January. German Finance Minister Christian Linder said Nagel was a fitting appointment for both Germany and Europe. His attention to inflation, monetary stability in the tradition of the central bank is important. And I'm sure that Joachim Nigel will position the German central bank in exactly this assessment. And therefore, it is a good appointment, a good signal to the German population as well as to Europe. Let's talk about the uh, Turkish lira. We're continuing to see some strength against the dollar after President Erdogan announced a series of measures designed to prop up the country's currency. The Turkish leader uh, promising to guarantee lira deposits amid market volatility in a bid to encourage more Turks to hold the currency against the dollar. The uh, president did not, however, outline how the government plans to fund the new strategy. 
Due to the fluctuation in the exchange rate, our export companies, which have difficulty in giving prices, will be given forward exchange rates directly through the central bank. The exchange rate difference that may arise as a result of this transaction will be paid to our exporting company in Turkish lira. In order to increase the attractiveness of our private pension system, whose fund size has, in, has reached 250 billion Turkish lira, we increase the state contribution rate by 5% to 30%. So, very interesting pledge and plan from President Erdogan here. And it seems to me, Karen, the question then is just how much credibility you think the president's pledge has at this time. And it would seem that at least domestically, some Turks do feel more comfortable with their uh, lira uh, deposits at this point with the president promising to make them good uh, should there be any further reduction in value against foreign currencies. But I think all the way throughout this uh, fight that has been going on between the market and uh, President Erdogan's own unique view of economic policy, the risk has always been that there would be the introduction of some form of currency controls or restrictions on what Turks could do domestically with their own deposits and holdings. And if you sit there and those deposits continue to fall in value because the market doesn't agree with the approach that President Erdogan is taking, then you are sitting on a significant loss here. So just coming back to where I started, ultimately it does appear that at the moment, domestically, Turks are giving their leader the benefit of the doubt. But uh, one one, uh, swallow doesn't make a summer, as they say here. So I think we just need to watch more trading sessions to see how comfortable uh, they are with this pledge from the government and whether it has the ability to fund it. Defiance is coming at a cost, isn't it? I mean, we saw the line recently of the weekend when the market thought there would be a pause in the rate cutting And now we've had this defined call from Erdogan that there will not be any pause. In fact, uh, they could cut further and you've seen a very strong reaction. But uh, unfortunately, it's businesses that uh, can actually weather that cost. They're they're the ones forced to to take on board all of the the problems here. And I think you've had a lot of concerns in some of the big uh, industry bodies about what that means for these businesses, especially if they're transacting using foreign currency. I mean, there were reports recently, too, that uh, many people domestically cannot get loans at this point. They're concerned about the huge fluctuations they're witnessing in the currency. And what is the point of cutting interest rates if you can't have access to cheap credit, have access to to cheaper loans? And I think that's one of the issues. How do you get liquidity if you're a small business or an individual in Turkey at this stage? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.